Hey, it's Anna Sale, and I want to thank you for listening to Death, Sex, and Money, where I explore the big questions and hard choices that are often left out of polite conversation. You can hear new episodes ad-free every week on Amazon Music, where you can find Death, Sex, and Money and all of your Slate favorites without the ads. I want to thank you for listening and for all your support as we at Death, Sex, and Money have made our move to Slate. Your stories, voice memos, and emails have meant so much to the team. As part of this transition, there's a new way to support our show financially at Slate, our new home. And you'll get something special in return. Subscribe to Slate Plus, and you'll not only support our work on death, sex, and money, you'll get access to new benefits, including listening to us and all of the other great shows Slate makes, like Slow Burn and Dakota Ring, without any ads or sponsor breaks. To subscribe, just click Try Free at the top of the Death, Sex, and Money show page on Apple Podcasts or visit slate.com slash DSM plus to get access wherever you listen. Thanks. I would like book back to back. Like, oh, I'll meet you for coffee and then I'll do lunch with her and then I'll do dinner here. And then I may end up with her or I may end up after dinner with the girl that I went to lunch with. This is Death, Sex, and Money. When do you want to die? The show from WNYC about the things we think about a lot. I want my body to inspire lust. And need to talk about more. A million dollars isn't exactly a lot of money these days. I'm Anna Sale. Let's start by pretending we're at a bar. Okay. I want to hear how you do this. What happens? I'm going to find a way to get closer to you get into your area, kind of get into your space. Not too close. And then I just find my way in. This is Jozen Cummings. He's been picking up women for years, unapologetically. I hope that I've become interesting enough at some point where you ask me my name first. Um, oh, you and, wait for her. Yeah, I, I kind of wait. He gets the romantic pursuit, how to approach with swagger and just enough of a disarming smile. How do you describe what you do? Oh well, I I'm a writer and I and I'm a dating reporter at the New York Post and I set people up on blind dates. You don't really need to say much more than that to get people interested. He hasn't always had a staff job. He was an editor at Vibe magazine but got laid off during the recession. I I mean, when you're a freelancer, you don't have a job. You can literally date 24 hours a day. And he did and chronicled it all on his blog called Until I Get Married. There's a post about getting bored with sex when you have too much, a how-to guide for being friends with someone you sleep with, and tips on using a Groupon on a date without getting caught. But how does dating work when you're not interested in finding anything serious? Jozen's been totally upfront about it. If you want to find some dude who wants to marry you, he told The Washington Post three years ago, don't start with someone like me. The paper also noted his resemblance to Drake, that handsome R&B artist. I can't get any girl I want, but I certainly wouldn't. <laughs> the way you say that is hilarious because it sounds like most women you feel like you can get. <laughs> I can, but I do feel like um, if they're going to say no to me, it's not going to be because there's something oh, man, this is going to sound... Like, there's something like, ill, gross. You know, it's never going to be that type of rejection. For you, when did you first realize that, oh, I, 
I can get girls to be attracted to me. Where, where did, oh, where did that I, first I, confidence come from? The the confidence. I do remember a very pivotal conversation in high school that I had with an older girl. I was probably 16 or 17, and I worked um, the deli section of a restaurant, which was right next to the host stand. And we had a bunch of pretty hosts, and all of them were about – if I was 16, they were 18. And um, though I forget her name, I do – You don't remember her name. I don't remember the – if I saw her face, I would remember her, and I would – Thank her because she did say, you know, Josen, the number one thing that you have to have as a man is confidence. That's when I just kind of told myself, okay, get confident. And I think my my lack of confidence came from growing up and kind of being that that kid that girls were, you know, like not him. And um, when was that in your life? Oh, that was that feeling stayed with me all throughout grade school and high school. The boys who got girls to like them, I just always would see them and say, I don't have that. I'm not I'm not short, but I'm not as tall as them. I didn't have like much athletic ability. Was it kind of in your head at that age or, or were there moments when you like really were after this particular girl and you couldn't get her to pay attention to you? Um. I mean, I remember the first girl I ever liked didn't like me back. Now, I remember her name, um, Roxanne, in second grade. Started off, like, coloring pictures for her at home and then leaving them at her desk. And I'll never forget one day um, the person sitting next to me tapped me on my shoulder and said, turn around, Roxanne is trying to get your attention. And I turned around, and she just mouths the words, I don't like you. And I was just, like, so upset and, 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 and so hurt. I remember afterwards, like, I wanted to find a I wanted to dress cool. Or I wanted to do something, you know. I think I cut holes in my jeans. After that, like, to fix it? Yeah, it, like, I cut holes in my jeans um, in the knees because I thought that was a look. I don't even think that was a look. <laughs> um, but I, I, I look. mean, I, I, and I wore sunglasses, I think I picked up a pair of my mom's sunglasses, just being okay with the fact that they were sunglasses. You grew up in California, mm-hmm. and then you moved to Washington, D.C. for college and go to Howard University. Right. The historically black university. Yeah. Then you moved to... New York City. Ultimately, New York City. Mm-hmm. Have you dated women of all different races? Yeah, I, I've dated women of all different races. But, I mean, you know, black women were always the women that I dated. But I learned that that doesn't mean that I'm dating the same type of woman. And you have a multiracial background. And I have a multi—Puerto ba- Rican, black, and Japanese. So I have a multiracial background. But, I mean, I just—Roxanne, she was black. That was second grade. Um, did I like other girls? Yeah. Was it like when you figure out your type, mm-hmm. right? Like, you know, when you when you figure out your type, you kind of know your type. And you mm-hmm. know, oh, he's wearing a shirt like the kind of shirt that like right. when a guy wears right. that kind of shirt. Right. Was it a choice at some point that you were like, I'm going to date somebody else that's not a black woman and see what that's like? No, I just – it wasn't ever made like I'm trying to date someone who isn't black. I think what I was guilty of, and I think a lot of men 
who date black women. I don't even know if it's a lot, but I've heard it enough. Black women don't need the approval of men, at least the black women that I know, the black women who are my friends. My niece is black, and I would tell her this, that you cannot let a man determine your worth, okay? I don't think that black women need men to make them the hottest thing or whatever in order for them to feel good about themselves. And I feel like for a while I subscribed to this idea that I was actually doing a noble thing. Like what I liked, black women, was somehow progressive. Instead of dating white women, instead of dating, Instead of dating white women. And it wasn't. That's not... Because dating is such a personal thing. It should never be... And I know some people feel differently that it's a political... You're, you're making a political statement by dating who you date. You can see an example of that in President Obama and everybody talks about Michelle Obama and how great Michelle, the first lady, makes the president look. And for a lot of people... It's so good to see this black man with this black woman who, you know, but I don't want a black woman to ever speak for me like that. I never wanted a black woman. I did, but then I, like I said, I grew out of that. And that's when I, when I, once I let that go, that's when I started becoming more open to dating anybody because. When did that happen? That happened probably sometime in like twenty twenty twelve. Oh, so fairly recently. So so, yeah, it did did take a long time, you know. But but one thing that I, because I was single long enough to kind of like look at start looking at the game a little bit differently. um, (laughs) Is it uncomfortable for you to talk about race and who you've dated? No, it 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 isn't uncomfortable. I think. What's uncomfortable is speaking, and this is a conversation that I've had a lot lately with, like my mom mostly. And your mom? What's your mom's background? Puerto Rican and Japanese. Okay. It's it's uncomfortable to feel like I am speaking about. If I talk about my dating history and I talk about the women I dated, I'm talking about black women, but it's very uncomfortable for me to speak for black women. Like, I don't want to be the guy that speaks for black women at all, you know? Does it, I mean, and it's also when you have a Japanese, Puerto Rican, and mm-hmm. black mm-hmm. background, mm-hmm. who you're dating is an expression of where you see yourself fitting. Yes, it does. In, in what sense? It's it's. I mean, when you're multiracial, you're mm-hmm. which which side of yourself you're. You know, it's like how, how you're aligning in some ways to be very it crass is. about it. It is. It is. And I it imagine is. coming from California and going to Howard mm-hmm. and thinking about your black identity mm-hmm. as you're coming of age, mm-hmm. as you're dating a lot. Mm-hmm. I mean, do you think that's part of figuring out who are the women that you're? I I, I I used to. I think that's what I'm speaking to. But I, I, I used to very much feel like they were a gateway into or, or they strengthened my identity. Hmm. As a black man. Mm-hmm.
You didn't grow up with your biological father. I didn't grow up with him. I remember my mom dating. You, did you, like, check out to see who was coming to the driveway um, or knocking in the door? Or? I had my opinions. What would frustrate me is when I saw that she liked the guy. And I, I could tell when she was waiting for a phone call. I, I could sometimes see how it was, you know, well past the time that they said they were going to call and they hadn't called. I can, I can see that frustration and um, I didn't like that. I didn't like seeing her get let down. When you were at peak bachelor, were you were you ever that guy that that might have made me left your mom waiting for the call? Yeah, yeah, I was a lot. I was various versions of the guys that were you know in my mom's life that hurt her. So what? If you say you meet a girl, mm-hmm. you have a nice time out. Mm-hmm. You exchange numbers. Mm-hmm. You suspect that she's waiting to hear from you, mm-hmm. a text or a mm-hmm. call. What would go through your head when you wouldn't get in touch? There was probably somebody else that was keeping me occupied or, you know, not even another girl. Just wanting to hang out with my friends more. Wanting to just go home in peace and not have to share my bed or not have to um, wake up the next morning um, and in somebody else's bed and, and go home and... One thing that I never ever convinced myself of, though, was that I was the only one. And I think that kind of helped me square away whatever I needed to in order to be okay with not texting them. So you would tell yourself, I'm not the only guy out there. Yeah, for this I'm woman. not the only guy out you there. You wouldn't tell or yourself, there. I bet she's looking at her phone. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> if, she, me if she is, it was always kind of like, you know, well, that's fine, but. I never felt like I had all the control, and I've been let down too, and so we all go through it, right? But there there are a couple of people, um, you know, I had a relationship with someone that, you know, moved from California to be with me, um, and I let her down. Now, everything turned all, out all right. She's let fine. her down. You mean break up with her or let her down by um, doing something else that doing, ended doing, the relationship? Doing something else that ended the relationship. So you did you were did, with somebody else? Yeah, I was with someone else. And, and then she found out. And she found out. And um, I want to be able to say that the love that I have is love that I deserve. And the only way that I'm going to be able to say that is by basically living up to that idea. Did you learn that from the experience of seeing the cheating on your live-in girlfriend at the time, seeing the damage that that wrought? Did that lead you to sort of examine? Definitely. I felt very sorry for myself, and I knew I didn't have a reason. Like, I had no... You were sad to have lost her. Yeah. Getting caught is what made me upset with myself, in the sense that you don't realize the damage that you're doing until the other person shows it to you and, 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 and you see it on their face. You see them not being able to sleep at night. You hear them crying. You know, it's not about the way that they treat you when they're angry at you. It's that you come home 
and there's no music and there's no television on. There's nothing. They're just sitting there and they're looking out the window or they're looking at a wall. And you cause that. Seeing this made Joe Zinn wonder if he would ever be able to commit. And it made him think about his father, Harry. What I made a connection to was, here was this woman that loved me so much, and I did something to, like, ruin that, to cause our relationship to end and hurt her. And even if she still loved me, put her in a position where she could not be with me anymore. Well, that's what Harry did to my mother. And my mother loved him so much. And even when she talked about him, you could tell why she loved him. Years later. Years later. But she wasn't going to be with him. Josen's father passed away in 2009. Coming up, what he learned from watching his dad die alone. We got lots of responses to our last episode about money and relationships. Maya from Philadelphia wrote in to ask about what to do when you bring different debt loads to a relationship. She's got student loans, her girlfriend doesn't, and they're trying to figure out how to split the cost of a wedding. Lisa Eaton wrote in on the Death, Sex, and Money Facebook page. She was in the same boat when she married her husband in 1992, and she said they came up with a formula to contribute proportionally to a household account. But Anais Bede added, get over the need for perfect autonomy at all times. Marriage is about supporting each other and becoming one legal unit. You will become dependent on each other for so many things. On the next episode, a woman who supported her husband through a debilitating illness and decline. Chaz Ebert on Caring for Film Critic Roger Ebert. When he was very sick, it felt like we became one person. I didn't feel the boundaries that you fill with two people. And I know those boundaries so well because when he got better and he got stronger, those boundaries were resurrected. And I became my own person again, and he became his own person. But the period where we became one, I could almost feel him in my soul. We talk about the documentary about Roger Ebert's life and death and how she still feels his presence. I knew you weren't going to ask me just the standard questions. I just knew it. This is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC. I'm Anna Sale. Josen Cummings spent his 20s dating and sometimes cheating on the women he dated, which was a lot like his father. I had heard enough stories to know he was somewhat of a rolling stone. And um, What do you mean? You know, he's just a ladies' man to a fault and made some bad decisions and hurt the women that he loved, including my mom or the women that loved him. Um, you know, I have two, I have two older brothers. He had two other sons besides me and we all have different mothers. And I know from talking to my brothers that their mothers felt the same way about him, but no one showed up. None of them showed up to his funeral. What that showed me was that you can love someone, but you can also put them out of your life. And I just thought here was my father, a man who was loved, but nobody wanted to really, really be there for him. His sons felt a certain obligation, 
but even us, we were even like, no, like, you know, we're, we're doing this because we have to. It's the role we have to play. I didn't want to end up like that. You didn't want to die alone. I didn't want to die alone. I didn't want to die alone and loved. Die alone and loved. So you're saying these women had fallen in love with him and continued to love him, but because of his actions, right. it was impossible for them to to be his companion, be by his side and love him. Absolutely. Yeah. And, um, you know, I I never felt... I don't know if it's a Catholic in me or whatever, but I never felt like um, just because I was young doesn't mean that I'm not going to, you never know. You you know, that's one thing you learn. So it made you think about your own death. Yeah. I mean, you see him dying and you just think about that. And well, how are you going to go out? I didn't want to go out like that. So I just went ahead and sought therapy. So you, you have this traumatic breakup with your live-in mm-hmm. girlfriend mm-hmm. as your father is ailing. Yes. What, what did you talk about in therapy? Did you talk about women or did you talk about your father? Um, I went to therapy thinking that there was something wrong with me. I think that's what causes a lot of people. And the the thing that you learn, one of the first things that you learn about therapy is that it's very much like, your therapist just lets you talk. Therapy is great, but you have to go in there kind of like know what you're going to say or at least because they it's don't. It's stressful when you don't know what you're going to say. Yeah, because they, they will just let it hang there. I think it wasn't until the fourth visit that I brought up Harry. Your father. And that resonated with my therapist. He had an instant reaction when I was talking about our story and, and my story and my relationship with him. And he's like, oh, oh, you're, you're, oh, you're his son. Like that's, that's you. He was self-destructive. And he said, I, I know that it hurts you that you two don't have a relationship, but you need to get that out of your head. You need to go down there and you just need to listen to him. You need to hear his stories and listen to the mistakes that he made. And and I did that. And when I did that, he was on his way out. What are you working on now in yourself when you think about what kind of partner you want to be? It, it, I, I mean, I think that this will be... This is kind of in line with the spirit of the show. But um, in myself, if I could put my budget in myself and my money in myself, that is the number one thing that I'm working on. My money, my finances, trying to somehow get right and fix everything. You're in a serious relationship. I am in a serious relationship. So I just, when was that moment when you realized, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to do this with this woman? That that moment was uh, existed pretty much when she allowed me to take her out on our first date. I mean, I I, I how old were you? I, I mean, I was. This was recent. This wasn't that long ago. So I was thirty two, and okay. I'm I'm thirty two now. But um, I mean, what I see with Gina is somebody who will love me and ride for me, like be by my side. But I don't want her to, you know, have to take responsibility for decisions that I made before she came into my life. And that's kind of like 
and my finances are a ref- reflection of that. And I'm really trying to get myself into a better place because I want to take care of her. I want to be able to have a family with her, and I want to be able to, um, you know, be com- and live a comfortable life with her. And 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 the, the the feeling that I have for her now, it hasn't been long. I mean, and anybody can say I'm still in a honeymoon phase, but I feel like the the challenge, even though it hasn't come up now. At some point, it may, of maintaining this feeling that I have, this joy, and not forgetting that, and carrying that with me so that I can make good decisions in the future and not necessarily have to um, realize after it's too late that I had a good thing. Yeah, that's what I think about a lot. I, I come from a long line of divorce. My grandparents were divorced. Mm-hmm before I was even born. And I think the scariest thing is that they, even my mom, my uncles, they all ended up with someone. You look and you see that it's going to be okay. And you see that it's okay. You're with someone after coming out of that. And I guess my fear is that um, I'll be okay if it it doesn't work like when you know that that's the case it's 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 scary so i just wanted to know if if you ever like see the relationship that you're in now and wonder um what if it all falls apart yeah like yeah (laughs) (laughs) that's what that's what it is to be committed is to face that i mean it's no it's it rears its head in intense ways. The cynicism. Mm-hmm. But then what you go back to, what I go back to, is these are the most important qualities in a partner for me, and I could never find what I have in my partner anywhere else. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's... And do you ever wonder why you had to take that, like, go through whatever you went through to get there? That's kind of what I wonder is, like, why did it take all this to get to her? I'm thankful for my experiences, but, you know, because she doesn't have nearly as much experience as I do, right? Baggage. Baggage. (laughs) Right? So she gets, it's like, sometimes I'm like, you know, you really... You got it right the first time. You realize how lucky you are, right? Like, I'm I'm here. I'm, like, fully arrived. Like, not only do you not get to deal with other guys, but you don't even get the worst of me. Like, it, it's really frustrating. I, I still sometimes wonder why our journeys, some of us have to take a more epic journey to come out on the other end and, and to, to be able to see the light, you know? that That, to me, is always the thing. That's Jozen Cummings. Now his blog, Until I Get Married, is all about Gina, his girlfriend. He says, God willing, his first date with her will be his last first date ever.
Death, Sex, and Money is a production of WNYC. The team includes Emily Botine, James Ramsey, Jessica Miller, Henry Malofsky, Chris Bannon, Jason Isaac, Bill O'Neill, and Jim Briggs. The Reverend John Delore and Steve Lewis wrote our theme music. If you like the show, subscribe and write us a review. You can find us on Facebook, I'm on Twitter, at Anna Sale, or email me at deathsexmoney at wnyc.org. But it's summer, so get out there, too. Just a few weeks left. If you're looking for love, don't be afraid to stand in front of the mirror and check out your look. For a lot of men, that still will be the thing that they do. There's some version of cutting holes in your jeans and putting on your mom's sunglasses. I'm Anna Sale. This is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC.